0: Hi Julie, welcome to my podcast, Bridging Psychology and Spirituality, where I believe today we're going to talk about stress, but in particular, the bigger issue of burnout. And for anyone who's listening in, we're going to be covering aspects of well-being, holistic practices, and also um the various ways that you can approach that through your personal and professional life. But um welcome today. We've met through our networking um, events and found a lot of parallels in our work and thought it'd be really great to um, explore this and uh, today and also do some future pieces of work together to help people further. So do you want to say a little bit about yourself? I know you uh, are really heavily into well-being and also work at a university, so share a little bit and tell the audience who you are.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on your podcast today. I'm happy to be here. Um, As Mel said, I am a well-being specialist. I am based in Duluth, Minnesota, which is in the United States. And I have a specialization in health promotion and change management. So I have my uh, MBA in change and leadership and a master's degree in health and nutrition and exercise science. And I have over 10 years of experience where I'm guiding learners and leaders through that state of overwhelm and stress and procrastination into action. And oftentimes, when we're in those times of transition, we get stuck in certain cycles. And so breaking through those cycles in order to uh, be able to thrive. And so I have a deep love of learning, and that's where I end up adjuncting in my free time, also uh, running the business and consulting. and working within hospital systems to improve the well-being of clinicians and the Mm. employees that work there.
0: Yeah, that's brilliant and you also do some work around what you call Empower Possible which is career crossroads, um, helping people with their transformative journey through personal and professional growth. So I'm really excited to unpick that with you because as we know Um, you know the mental health and well-being of of adults and children um, you know we've both worked in those networks has always been of a concern but certainly since COVID has really uh, complicated that and really changed the way that the whole system works as well as the level of uncertainty that we've got going on so um, do you want to say a little bit about you've been doing that for 10 years do you want to say a little bit about yourself and your own journey and what really attracts you to Um, this work? Sure, absolutely. So, uh, what started
1: Empower Possible and the business was I had spent about a decade in higher education, and I was working in health promotion and well-being, uh, teaching, and then also as a staff, and it was my dream job. And after about five years, I had reached what my supervisor at the time, shared with me was sort of my full potential within that role. And if I were to, they suggested if I were to go further within um, another organization that, and develop my career skills, that I probably would need to leave that organization that I was currently at, because there was no room to climb the ladder. I was the sole person in my role. There wasn't anywhere else for me to go. It was a one person department and there just wasn't uh, another space for growth. And I disagreed with them at the time. I thought, well, for sure I can work with human resources and for sure I can work with our administration to develop a job because that's what I had been doing from the very beginning as I had been uh, job crafting for the past five years. So I thought, well, why can't I continue to to job craft upper level positions. Um, So I did that for a while and thought if I put the work in on the front end, then I would be rewarded after a few years by them developing a position that would match my skill set. And COVID came along and that's where my skills were really tested. I was given the role of COVID-19 coordinator and that meant developing systems to help protect um, our university to help with isolation, developing those systems and quarantine and our contact tracers. And after that, doing, going and developing my team and, and going through that process, I thought, for sure, now they're going to see I'm really good at organizing systems. I can work on all levels of the organization. I can communicate. I can rally people. Um, For sure, they'll give me a strategic leadership position because they can see I have moved beyond my role of wellness coordinator now. So since I'm talking with you here today, I'm sure you can see how that story ended. I didn't get that role. In fact, the role was given... Uh, first, I was told it couldn't be created, and then the role was not only created, but then it was given to someone else, and I wow. felt, uh, yeah, I was, I felt completely heartbroken, and I am using the term heartbroken because that is how it felt to me. I felt um, a lot of anger um, at myself for staying there for for that long. I felt anger towards the administration that I felt like they had misled me in a lot of ways and taken advantage of my work ethic. Um, And I realized that I was grieving. And after I realized that I was grieving, then that helped me begin to heal. And so Career Crossroads came out of that journey. It's the lessons that I wish I would have known when I was going through that transition of deciding to leave that organization, starting my new job, starting empower possible to help people never go through what I went through to recognize the signs, um, to help people feel okay in leaving an organization where they're not able to reach their full potential or being told that you should be satisfied with what you have and not ask for more. Um, So, I started my business, I left that organization, I started working in healthcare, um, and then I started the online course, Career Crossroads, and have been uh, speaking with people about it, leading workshops, and then uh, folks can take the online course as well.
0: Well, I mean, it's, you, you know, when somebody is so dedicated and uses every level of integrity, as well as manages all of the stress that came along through COVID, you know um, it feels like a huge punch in the stomach really doesn't it you know when you get to that stage and is that something that you've also now that you're doing that work come into contact with other people who've had those experiences?
1: Absolutely I've I've worked with uh, dozens of people now and I actually take notes on the themes that I know with that mm-hmm. conversation and and that's why i said it was a broken heart because those are the those are the words that people use they feel like my heart was broken and you often attribute that to a personal relationship that you might have you might have a personal breakup and say that your heart is broken and people use that language in speaking about a career and some i felt ashamed for feeling that way because i felt why would i allow myself to feel so attached to this corporation or it, this institution this organization um and I noticed that in others too this feeling like I shouldn't feel this way but that is how I felt and that's how others feel and that's okay
0: yeah but I guess you know people go into these type of roles because they care don't they right you know yep, we care yep. about sometimes- other people's well-being
1: yeah yeah and I think that especially why I'm excited to talk about this topic today, because we can be prone to burnout because we do care and we do invest. And how do we find that harmony where we care about our work? And it is um, one identity that we have. We carry other identities that are just as worthy. And if one identity is starting to maybe slip through our fingers or isn't turning out how we might have envisioned it we're still a complete person you are still and that's why this the human change process is really important to me in this holistic well-being of recognizing the multiple identities that you carry and one one identity if you think about a wheel one identity might not make the full circle but you still mm-hmm. can have um, other areas that can kind of lift you up because they can be functioning um, if you if you put the strength into them and develop them.
0: Yeah, it's uh it's taken me back. And it probably this is what happens with the many of the people you come into contact with, with one co- context I'd worked in for quite a while. And I had a team and we had a really good service, and I'd put a lot of energy and effort into making that work. And because that service was part of a wider system. Linked with social care and they were really struggling, they brought in an external company and were telling us in one hand that we were all working together and we were going to move forward and on the other hand, every time I noticed that I went in um, one of the meeting rooms and we started having these weekly consultations, I would start, it was a bit like Back to the Future where you'd see people's names on a chart and then all of a sudden the names weren't there. And I was like, where have they gone? And then you would see people just not being there. And then they brought in people that were really awful and treated. And I've worked with some really strong women um, who they just started to give them work that was not in their... Uh, job description and really pushing them and so we had this dissonance between what we were being told and what was on the surface and what we carried on pushing forward at and thankfully I got to the stage where I recognized you know I thought right time my time is done here and they're now dismantling all of the good work and that's what's also heartbreaking is Mm. when you're working hard to make a service that you know works for the for us, it was the children, families and parents that we were coming into contact with and the right. short sightedness and the uh, activities that are going on. And then you have mm-hmm. to sit back and say, how much power and control do I really have in this situation? Can I stand up and fight? Do I go to the union? Do I look at this as unfair dismissal, constructive dismissal? Because these are sometimes the elements that people experience. And I think this is what makes... Um, The tricky area of well-being in the workplace, mental health, health, because you've got the drivers of the organisation, as well as maybe the piecemeal offer that some of them do for employee well-being, and as well as the way that human beings are treated in certain environments Mm -hmm. and our behaviours are allowed to fester or you know proportion of managers aren't really trained to work with people and and support them and I think that's a real dichotomy between the work and role of HR and leads of service and CEOs as well as the employees and the big gulf that can occur in that and as you say you know we can look at this on a spiritual level we're all on a you know potential soul journey are we Mm -hmm. here to do this job is it that there's a different calling for us but at the time when you're going through it it is monumental isn't
1: it right right yeah the ability to find meaning in your work Mm -hmm. is essential and and that sometimes people can take advantage of that saying well if you really cared you'd do this (laughs) and and when you start hearing phrases like that you have to that has to be Something that sticks out in your mind of thinking about, is this reasonable? Is this a reasonable request? Like you mentioned, is this within my job description? Is this within my scope of practice? Or are they trying to make me take ownership of something that I have no business taking ownership of? I can still do meaningful work and not be taken advantage of.
0: So I guess the courses in terms of the career crossroads that you offer, is that where individuals within whatever context they're in does your course, but it's separate from the organization where they can start, you know, is that how it works where they can start to discover where they're at and maybe where they're meant right. to be?
1: Right. Absolutely. So they're it's broken up into four different modules. So, uh, it's really, the goals are to have you reflect on your past employment experiences. So you can be in a position right now or not. Uh, We have folks that are in transition. We have people that, you know, like me, two years ago is when I made my transition. Um, 20 years ago, there was an individual that has taken it that you know, over 20 years ago, they, they had a transition that still stuck with them. Or you can be thinking about maybe it is time for me to leave. So just to reflect on what that past experience is, there's no time mm. frame for that. And then it's to consider what are your unique talents and gifts and values that you bring mm. and then tying those things together in order to uh, chart a course for the future. And what's also unique about this course is giving you the space to grieve and let go. Mm -hmm. So when we're thinking about the human change process, that piece, oftentimes we skip, (laughs) we try to skip it. It's part of the process, but we try to skip it because it's painful. It's painful Mm -hmm. sometimes to identify the grief. It's painful to identify the things that I need to let go of because it means I need to acknowledge that I've been hurt. I need to acknowledge that I was vulnerable and that's hard to do. So Mm -hmm. it We create this container of safety through doing a couple of other exercises so that you can dive into that and reflect on what are those areas that you need to let go of? What are those old stories that you are telling yourself that are no longer helpful? And then we go into an exercise where you can write a new story for yourself. Because oftentimes, and maybe this was your experience too, There are people telling you things that just simply are not true about who you are, about your work, about your value in order to control you and in order to um, create this toxic environment. And if you hear that enough times, that gets entrenched in you and we need to break that first and we need to write a new story for ourselves.
0: Well, it's interesting because as you know, my background is in psychotherapy and I've done NLP and hypnotherapy, you know, and a lot of this, um, even though I've worked with professionals within the different contexts I've been in and supported them, um, it's been more about the interface of who they're working with and and who they support or their teams they support around mental health. Um, but it, it was interesting in terms of, I think I was able, because in that environment, to recognise the toxic nature of it and what was in my control and what wasn't. So that's when you're able to go, can I stand up? And I did try and have a few conversations with this new CEO that came in who was lovely and listened and, you know, and gave you that false sense of security, all of those processes. And I think potentially she was well-meaning, but there was definitely a different layer within the organization And I was able to Mm -hmm. sit back and and say, even though, because one of the difficulties is with the roles that I've had and other people might have, is the role was created at a particular time. But it doesn't mean to say they exist anymore because, you know, industry changes and even in mental health, the, the roles that people have and the training that they have were related to maybe that five year period. The funding's changed. Mm-hmm. So I was able to recognise mm-hmm. that, but at the same time, not really have a vision. And I think that's the difficulty is is we only we only know what we know. We will only see through the same channels the kind right. of things that we're familiar with, and it's very hard to think of a, a wider way of viewing that experience. So all yeah. of those, you know, and that's why sometimes people stay in work that actually they're not happy with it's fulfilled the need and their skill set, like what you said, Mm -hmm. um, your experience was, and they've reached a certain place and they don't realise now that maybe they feel a bit uh, disillusioned or they haven't got the motivation and those things are happening. And, you know, and that can cause either the external factors or the internal or both can Mm -hmm. create that stress. And it can be low level. And I talk to people about how you get a little a rubber a little thought that's in your you know in your ear that comes mm-hmm. every so often and we can ignore that and then something comes along and we don't like what you said see the signs realize okay. that actually maybe we need to be going in that direction because we hold on we're human beings and even if mm-hmm. a situation isn't healthy for us we might stay there because it's familiar and comfortable
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And, and with burnout, sometimes it can look like depression. Yeah. So it's, it's difficult to separate the two sometimes, but burnout and depression are different things. Um, You can have both at the same time, but not always. So you just have to think about, do you question the value of your work? Have you lost patience with your coworkers? Do you have to drag yourself to work? Or do you have trouble getting started? Have your sleep habits changed? And do you feel a little satisfaction about what you're actually doing? Do you tend to doubt your skills and abilities or do you feel removed from the work? Um also are there physical symptoms that you're experiencing that don't have any known cause or are you using food or drugs or um alcohol to like numb how you feel? If you're answering yes to a lot of these that are the, those are the symptoms of burnout but you can see how symptoms of depression are similar to that. So sometimes it gets masked under a different category and you as a psychologist can speak to that. Um, But it's important to see, see those differences even though there is some overlap and to really take a minute to think about what are those things that I'm experiencing right now and is it job burnout?
0: I think one of the tricky elements, though, in the caring fields like social work, teaching, especially you know, especially in the primary schools, um, uh, therapists who work in like NHS clinical staff, NHS staff, that because being tired, not sleeping, being stressed, being overworked, and managing high risk cases, uh, especially say like in social work and some of the clinical work, and I was running up until last November a program for. Uh, women who'd experienced domestic abuse and even though Mm -hmm. I I felt really competent in my role and I'd put systems in place there was always this feeling of anything could happen at any point and you're never completely switched off so that is akin to uh, consistently keeping the fight flight button on and that's Mm -hmm. what people don't realize that even if you do enjoy your job all of those factors and any vulnerabilities that we've got, and it can be anything, over time, like stress over time, long and enduring, then starts right. to take a toll. And you can easily go down that track without realising and even justifying, oh, I don't really sleep that well. And right. oh, I haven't got time to eat. That's And there's always biscuits in the office. So it's short term right. calories. You right. know, it's, yeah. it's more masked in those environments because it's a normal part of the culture.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I work. Um. So one of my roles is within a hospital system. And sometimes the idea is, well, if you can't cut it, this isn't for you. Yeah. And, and Instead of thinking about, well, why is it that this culture is okay? Yeah. And that's, it's hard. It's hard to change that. I mean, culture, it takes years to change. And maybe we need to look at the culture if we find ourselves If we keep saying, if you can't cut it here, then that's a you problem. That's not a cultural problem. Um,
0: Yeah. And they're not. The the kind of thing sometimes people say they don't realize the impact of the way that they relate, especially managers, the way they might relate to their staff. The odd thing said here or there is like that minor little chip that happens to the self-esteem and the confidence. And you can, like you say, and. When I left that workplace, I went into my next workplace and I knew I was still carrying anxiety because it only takes a few months of being in those environments to start mm-hmm. feeling this. You know, you feel Absolutely. it on a certain sort of level. And then I ended up with a manager who wasn't actually trained In the field I was in, but was a manager and tried to cut and derail and move me away from all the things I was good at and get me on Mm. things that didn't make sense, you know. And luckily, I could stand up and speak out and was assertive and would and got to a stage in life where I was like, No, I'm just not. But it took its Mm. toll again, it's you know, it started to have an effect, and I'm having those conversations with people and and again those levels in the workplace whether it's in private industry of employee managers supervisors and the culture is the big part isn't it you know the way that we accept certain behaviors and attitudes as okay and yet Mm -hmm. how toxic and insidious they can become and take even the strongest person down which is sad you
1: know? Right. Exactly. Yeah. The, it's the lack of control. It's the lack of clarity about what's what the expectations are. It's the conflict mm. that isn't resolved or there isn't progress made on how to work within that conflict or you know, unrealistic work expectations or or too little to do <laughs> sometimes can be yeah. a sign of burnout too. And just overall lack of support and lack of work-life harmony, those are all causes. Of that job burnout
0: yeah and I think um um like when we spoke last time I'd I'd said to you that I've had burnout serious burnout twice and it's been a combination it's been a combination of personal and professional because you know a lot of women manage their home life manage their work life and are bringing up children and they've got all and maybe supporting an older parent in the family and maybe even going to a stage of life, you know, it might be midlife. And we're becoming more aware now of those separate things, but the the toll that people carry on a day-to-day basis. And the difficulty was because if you add in, if you do these psychometric tests and you add in type A A personalities who are creators who struggle to, you know, it might have an element of dyslexia or ADD, you've got a whole recipe there for Mm. vulnerabilities to things like burnout and i didn't necessarily reckon this recognize the signs because the conditioning is so strong in society about you go to the gym you have this certain body weight after you've had a child and this is how it is for a woman functioning in certain work environments and once it gets to that stage people don't realize um you know stress is one level but when it gets to burnout and your adrenals are shattered and you can't breathe properly and you're really like under functioning if you haven't got and i was looking at your website about all the different holistic approaches which is why i'm so passionate about clinical and holistic approaches because we need a package of care by the time we get to that stage and yet so many people are seen as you know making it up or it's not real when their whole systems are about to break down and they can't function so then everything starts to topple over and the recovery I thought when I moved myself out of certain situations the recovery was actually going to be you know i bounce back two or three months you No, know, one mm-hmm. of them wiped me out for a whole year you know mm-hmm. and was that more mm-hmm. experienced too
1: yeah and that that's why I think People are attracted to the career crossroads courses because like I mentioned, there's some people that are right now in between jobs. And there's people that a decade ago, 20 years ago, had this transition that has just stuck with them and has been Mm -hmm. at the back of their mind. And there isn't, there isn't a time just like a grief of a person or a pet. There's not a time where you say, okay, you can no longer grieve. It's over, (laughs) get over it. Um, this is the way with professional life, too. There isn't a time where I can tell you a year from today, you need to get over it. Mm. We can't. Um, it's unrealistic to think that it's not going to impact you. And the fact of the matter is there is no perfect workplace. So you are going to move into another area that has its own dysfunctions. And it may... Mm-hmm be better. Hopefully it will be better. Sure that's the goal um, after healing and thinking about what it is that you really need from a workplace and finding that. And it's not perfect because we're all human beings and we're all going to say things and we're all going to do things that have negative impacts on other people. And to be in a space though that's safe and you can apologize and other people genuinely apologize to you and you get better together. Um that's the ideal goal because we know people mm. are going to make mistakes and that's why mm. the healing takes time.
0: Mm. So looking at this, we we've got this, we've got the contextual, we've got the environment and the, the workspace mm. culture, and we've got the personal of Each person that goes into these systems um, goes in, like you say, with those stories, with that history, with some with even sometimes bigger problems at the workplace. Don't know. You know, if I think about the women I was working with one in four women may well have experienced domestic abuse and they're going into the workplace and unless they've got a black eye people don't realise and yet they're living under fire every day and taking that stress with them and it was also something I saw in the school system you know children were coming from homes where there was violence drug addiction or whatever and even children from fairly well healthy families Uh, still were going in school system, school system wasn't recognising. There was these deeper emotional, psychological issues impacting them. So what is it, you know, when you work with the work system and that context, what are the kind of guidance or guidelines that you might start looking at with them if they're open and receptive to that? You know, because sometimes they can be, but then do their utmost to not then move forward on those things. But so what's been your experience with the different concepts that you've worked with?
1: Right, so if I'm working with an individual, we um, it's a little different than if I'm working with an organization, but it follows the same framework, overall framework, it's just the specifics right. are a little different. So I always approach things through what's called the three empowerments. And the first empowerment is self. So, if I'm working with an individual, it's some self-awareness. It's those old stories. It's what am I needing to let go of? It's uh, what are my skills and values and talents? Um, what are the demands? Uh, what is my? What does a future workplace look like for me? Where what's my ideal? If I'm working with an organization, the self is how do you empower? the individuals in your workplace? How do you recognize them as unique individuals? How do you support the individual? Um, Mm -hmm. Do you have employee resource groups where people of like identities can come together in a safe space? Do you have policies that support um, everyone and aren't cloaked in um, racist or gender biased Mm -hmm. policies? Then it goes into the social network. So if I'm working, the second empowerment is social. So if I'm working with an individual, then what, what are your
0: friends? Mm -hmm.
1: What are your work colleagues? What are, what's your family look like and how do they empower you to live a life of thriving or how do they disempower you? Because it, it is both. There's a both and to our social networks, And then in systems, um, And organizations looking at how the organizations support social connection and belonging. So that Mm. is a really big piece of supporting that social connection and belonging in organizations. uh, Because we know that that's foundational to all sorts of well-being. And well-being is foundational to be able to do your job at work. Uh, Then the third empowerment is systems. Systems. So with individuals, I look at, well, what systems are impacting how you show up each day? So we have laws, we have regulations, those are known systems. But we also have family systems that you're a part of that influence Mm -hmm. who you feel you can be um, and your relationships. And we have other systems that are not so positive. There's systems that are judging us based off of the color of our skin or our gender or our age and it's recognizing that those all uh, can be a source of empowering us or disempowering us and same with the organization looking at the systems seen and unseen known and unknown um, Mm. verbalized and not verbalized what are those expectations that you walk in you know what is the water And then the third empowerment for organizations and personal is the system level. So, if you're in an organization, if I'm working with your organization, I want to look at the policies of that organization and how they are fostering that empowerment of one department, of individuals, of the administration, and all of the levels and how they work together. So it really is that three-pronged approach to create that holistic level of support and empowerment.
0: And have you, can you bring to mind any kind of good practice that you've seen in any of the organizations that you've come across?
1: Absolutely. First is starting with the baseline information. So you can't Fully understand an organization without having some data. So we have to collect information about what is currently happening within our organization. What are the different levels of wellness within our organization? And then, same for myself. If I'm working with a person, what are some reflections on my well-being? You mentioned that um, that well-being circle. So looking at those different dimensions and then rating those different dimensions, an organization can do that as well. There's different, lots of different tools that you can use and that I utilize with different organizations based off of what their needs are. But the first thing is, is an assessment. If you don't want to call it an assessment because you don't enjoy that word, consider it a
0: reflection. Mm. OK, so I'm just going to pull up the well-being wheel, because even though we're talking about contexts and organizations, we're also talking about how we can help individuals consider those different facets of life and so if anyone's new to this you know it's a way of getting people to think about those different aspects of their life because mm-hmm. sometimes some aspects are okay you know they're feeling okay but work and relationships are two of the biggest things that will impact someone's uh mental health and well-being or if they've got health issues vice versa because it's symbiotic isn't it so this is a manual tool that people can use where they can score between zero and 10, how satisfied they are in each area. And I think on the university website, they've got one that you can actually fill in electronically, isn't there? And you can get then some ideas about how to focus and what to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And working with uh,
1: well-being specialists like myself, these are tools that we're all very, very familiar with. And I would challenge organizations to remember that everyone carries these aspects of life with them. So as an organization, we can't yeah. ignore someone's spirituality. We can't ignore someone's family life. We can't ignore someone's fun and recreation and then expect them to feel like a whole person when they show up at work. They bring they, sh- they bring their whole selves and we want to create that safe environment that allows people to respectfully show up as their whole selves.
0: That was a really good point you made, actually, as well, um, is that I think, you know, uh, different systems, whether that is the workplace, social care, schools, health services, or private industry, forget that the person is actually sat within a system. And sometimes you need to draw like a systems map, which is, um, oh, there used to be a process in one of the psychotherapy uh, models where you would actually map out who that person is connected to, and whether or not that is a strong or weak relationship around them and what their support mechanisms like. And we know from the research that there is a proportion of people who are introvert and don't desire too much human contact. However, a proportion of people do need some level of contact, which isn't easily asked for or even recognised when uh, a lot of people are working from home. And I love working from home, but it was only this year, this is three years in now, that I thought I need to put other things back in my life, integrate it throughout the week so that I start to build up and establish some of those connections and there are areas that people and I think having this at all, rather than the manager trying to work out. In fact, a lot of managers aren't best equipped to support people with their mental health and well-being because they've got to look at competences and performance. Um, and I think um, some of the best practice that's going on in the UK would be like workplace psychologists, you know, clinical psychologists, well-being Uh, leads like what your role is that can help the organization but also have groups of people that look at this together without the managers being present because the fear gets in the way of people being safe and lots of people do feel unsafe so um, as a grounding tool like you say whether people fill it out separately or the organization creates it as a um, as a survey monkey or something like that where they can get the data back and then unpicking that is certainly uh one level. The other level I've found, and I found this with school projects, is we can't just get people's views, we need to do the feedback loop. So we need to share back what it is we found and what aspect people think may be the most important thing to focus on first and then show how that's being done. Because if you're in an environment and this is at home or at, um in the workplace, if you've had a conversation and you've shared your uh, issues you know wh- where you like where you think it's going well and what the issues and challenges are and there is no feedback and you can't see any change well that's that's even worse isn't it you know that then people are left wondering or pondering on the what happens next
1: yeah whenever I'm working with organizations because I've had this experience or person to person if you don't want to know the answer to the question don't ask it there's been many times where I've been working with leaders and organizations and the they can't, they don't want to believe the scores because they're not as high as what they are or they're too high in their opinion of certain areas. And then they don't want to acknowledge the data and then they wow. dismiss the data and then nothing happens because they don't believe the data. So what I would say to leaders and what I would say to you as a person, <laughs> you If you aren't in a place where you feel like you can actually act on the information, maybe do some additional grounding, do some additional reflection, talk with a friend and get to that safe space. And if Mm -hmm. you're in an organization, don't ask your people the time of your people to do something if
0: you're not in a space where you're going to act on it. Yeah, definitely, definitely that. Um, I think the other aspects I'm aware of as well is because we have these different levels in all organisations, sometimes managers are better suited to support each other and have management training. And I think there's a lot of CEOs, because the higher up, you go up the chain, the harder it is sometimes to admit that you don't know something or that something feels like it's falling out of your control or you walk into a situation and you haven't quite got um people on board with you because leadership qualities is is a separate you know some people naturally lead but it's also a skill that people need to um develop so there's all of those personal insecurities that feed into this like what you're saying maybe people people don't want to see the data because they might take it personally they don't realize that actually you know there's a whole range of reasons why these things are going on and there are some simple tools and techniques that they can start to deploy um i was quite surprised in the uk and i don't know if this is the same in the states but in the uk in a lot of workplaces they have e- eap programs which is yeah. you know they can access therapy um and they might have um you know uh 30-day competitions they might have click competitions where you do so many steps, all of these different things that they can implement. Mm. But they weren't actually collecting any data to see before and afterwards when these things were used, whether or not it felt valuable. And it turns out with some of the data in the UK that only 30% of people use the apps or use the EAP services. And then nobody really thinks about that's one aspect. You know, People come to me and I support them. Through my role, looking at things psychologically, using coaching tools, solution focus, some of the methods like what you uh you'd also utilize. However, I'm not the only person in that person's life. So we also need to help them consider who else is there to support that person, especially if they start to have health issues or they're going through periods of change and transition or uh other massive things that can be impacting them because some things are long and enduring and, and and some things are short aren't they so um so that's the organisations and i know that these you, you do a lot of help around that and um you've got information on your website we will put the link to both the course and and your website on there. So let's think about the people, you know, the individuals, whether they are in the workplace or not, whether they're in transition. Um, I have got a couple of questions to ask, but I'll just unload the uh, wellbeing wheel. Um, Going back to uh, stress and burnout, um, I think when I've been teaching uh, mental health or the mental health continuum, I use that as a model because, you know, pretty much anyone is susceptible to developing stress or any mental health issues. And then it moves Mm -hmm. us out of the them, they get it and I don't sort of them and us language. So what are the uh, how do we recognize stress? And then what is it we start to recognize then with burnout? What would you say to people are the key things to look out for?
1: Right. With, with burnout, it is those um, things I mentioned earlier in the conversation of questioning your value, your sleeping habits have changed, your eating habits have changed, your mood has changed. Um, you might just not care anymore about your job. You may be using alcohol or drugs to create this feeling of numbness. Um and so those are those things that really look for. Are you having headaches? Do you feel mm. like you've let yourself down That or that your job has let you down? Um, do you lack the energy to do your job well? So it's ticking the boxes, several of those boxes that is, if you're answering yes to a lot of those things, um, you'll want to look deeper mm. into,
0: are you burned out? Mm. And it it can be tricky for people because one of the things definitely that is, I find, annoying from time, well, a lot, (laughs) um, is that we've conditioned people to go to their GP. So in the UK, people go to their GP, they've got stomach problems, headaches, stiffness, um, they may or may not express that you know there's some stress and mental health issues and in the uk even though the system is free most gps only have 10 minutes per person mm-hmm. so one of the mm-hmm. things that i'm really passionate about which i think you are as well is preventative work Absolutely. so that people don't you know so that they can carry on looking after themselves and i only need to make slight uh shifts and changes or they put a whole range of things in place and test them out before they get to overwhelm, before they get to burnout. And that's that work life balance. But the conditioning means they go to the GPs and, and not every one of our GPs are even trained in mental health, let alone know what questions to ask to really ascertain the level of concern that they might have about that. And then in proportion mm-hmm. of cases, they might get recommended counselling. But one of the, um, when we were talking um. I think what again what we're both passionate about is what are the things that people can do that they can take ownership for like doing the well-being wheel like doing right. some inventories around their mental health so we used yeah. to use inventories like check sheets when I was managing clinical services mm-hmm. and sometimes that gives you an indication of how high anxiety or depression is and they're interchangeable. Mm-hmm. um that they can then start to take ownership and say, what are some of the small things that I can do? And also consider the wider offer that is there. So in the mix of, you know, pre that becoming demanding, pre them getting burnout, um, what are some of the key things? that you feel kind of work getting people to think about where they're at?
1: Right. It's not easy. But the first thing is to realize that there are things within your control. It might feel like everything's out of your control, but there are things that are in your control. So you can try to talk to your boss about your concerns and maybe Mm -hmm. you can work with your boss to try to solve the problems that you, you see and understand their perspective in it, have an open conversation, being able to set realistic goals and clearly define your job. That's not always possible, but sometimes it is possible. So to first try to have that conversation, then um, you can try to seek support. Another thing you can try to seek support, engage that social empowerment, asking your coworkers and your friends or your loved ones for support, talking to others. Sometimes just having someone to listen to you mm-hmm. can relieve some of that stress. A lot of times it does. Mm-hmm. Looking into that EAP program if your employer offers that, is an excellent service too. We we do have those in the United States as well. Then think about the last time you did something fun. What was that? When is the last time you did something for fun? When's the last uh, time that you did a relaxing activity? And do that, even if it's five minutes, even if it's two minutes. Um, two, If you only have two minutes, do two minutes of that activity um, if you can. And I am a well-being specialist, so I'm going to promote sleep. I'm going to promote exercise. I'm going to promote nutrition uh, because those things all really do matter. Those are the fundamentals. And then finding a mindfulness practice, if it's um, spirituality for you or if it's non-secular, whatever that is to be present in, in the moment is really important as well.
0: Yeah. And I, and I get, your point as well because a lot of people say oh I'm too busy and I can't get out and I certainly know in you know when the days get darker earlier and it's colder the idea for me to go out and swim and get my hair wet and come back in the freezing cold is just enough for me to sometimes say no right. but right. when I'm starting with clients who do very little or have some health issues the baseline of what you currently do mm-hmm. um to support that and then what additional things can you do that just either bring down the stress levels help shift your stress nervous system off and put it into your peace relax system and like Mm -hmm. you say that can be the mindfulness you know listening Mm -hmm. to something on online youtube uh you know spotify wherever relaxing Mm -hmm. music it could be learning how to meditate which i think a lot of people do struggle to try and do themselves But even last night, I was talking with clients around yoga nidra and yoga nidra Mm. can be done outside of yoga, which is basically it's very similar to a guided visualization. But it uses body functions and processes where and Mm. I said, oh, you've got if you're feeling really lazy and you don't want to do anything just. And I've done that sometimes lay on the sofa, put my earphones on and not Mm. moved and listen to that. And it's and it's really healing for the mind and body but consistency is key and having a plan is key and Mm -hmm. also like you said with self awareness being aware of what your own vulnerabilities are what times of the year so there's a lot of clients now I'm working with that really struggle at this time of year so what work do you need to put in place in the summer season to keep the connections going when it's either you or your friends that when they get a bit low they they disappear a little bit they don't text as much so check in Mm -hmm. touch base take little actions like that don't get caught into the people don't do this and don't do that is just make that effort um Mm -hmm. aromatherapy oils holistic therapies you've got a whole list Mm -hmm. as well Mm -hmm. on the website about uh different therapies that Mm -hmm. can all and a lot of this can be done um uh, free you know you don't have to spend any money on a large proportion of these right. things that support us do we? right and
1: what my favorite way to practice mindfulness is uh, breathing mm. and I mean I would challenge your audience to to take in a deep breath through your nose and let it out do that a couple more times and if you feel comfortable, you can close your eyes. If not, that's completely okay. And just relax, release all the tension in your jaw, release that in your shoulders and do that a couple of times and just see how you feel before and after, you know, check in with yourself before you breathe, do three to five of those deep mm-hmm. breaths and then check in with yourself after. And, and it will be interesting to see that difference in how you feel.
0: Yeah, I think when I've, uh, you probably noticed as well, when I've done it with people, I I, I say normally more than three because I think it takes Mm -hmm. about three or four breaths, doesn't it, to switch the systems. And then at the same time, if they can even do that, once an hour, put a timer on their phone and do that while, if they're at work and they're at a a desk and they're really stressed, don't try and operate from a stressed mind. The Mm -hmm. moment you sit back and put your headphones on or, you know, listen to it quietly and do those deep breaths. You can actually give the brain a bit of a rest and go for a walk and just come out of that space and reset and people don't realise, they keep, you know, I was saying to somebody yesterday that when I was going through really stressful times at work, you know, I would sit at the laptop, and I was be typing away, forgetting sometimes I've not taken a breath in for, you know, for at least a minute, and then I go, guess <laughs> my whole system is drawing it in, not realising I've been stuck, you know, trying to get this email out, trying to, and we push when really we want to move people into flow, and I think as we're moving into you know 2024 and lots of industries changing anyway and we have normalized these things now like yoga meditation mindfulness using room sprays uh activities that support us connectedness all of that it's just a, a case of a lot of people know this now but they don't realize how much difference it makes even if you're in really turbulent circumstances you can do some things that uh, make a difference in in quite a big way. And I mentioned to you earlier, you've got that beautiful uh, picture of the forest behind you. Have you have you come across forest bathing as well yet?
1: Absolutely. I live in northern Minnesota, and it's um, I'm biased, of course, but I <laughs> I I think it's one of the most beautiful places uh, because we have. A lot of trees so there are people um out here that that do forest bathe i do my own version of that yeah, when i'm yeah. hiking um and we're surrounded by the trees and then we also have lake superior which is one of the the great lakes in in the united states it's Um, It looks like the ocean. So you can be in the woods looking out at what looks like an ocean and it just that visualization and that calming and centering and grounding is something that I take part in daily um thanks to the surroundings that i have access to but you can imagine it in your mind too if you don't have direct access to the the things um, to nature it it is best if you're in nature but yeah it's um you can also look at pictures of nature too or do a mental visualization and that helps as well
0: yeah certainly Um. I did forest bathing for the first time a few months ago, and I love going into, the, you know, into the woods. Um, and I like the autumn time of the year. But one of the things I noticed because I was with a group of people and it was practicing mindfulness meditation, so there were lots of quiet moments. I felt safe because a lot of women don't feel safe going into the forest or into the woods. So the fact that you've got an organised, you know, credited uh, person to do that with you enabled us to relax and turn off our nervous systems and really experience it and actually the experience stayed with me for about two days and they said that the more you do that the more you build up this um it it's almost like it clears your energy field and also lifts you up And I really noticed that And in comparison to when I do normal mindfulness and meditation, say at home. And you're absolutely right. You can lay back in your chair, listen to a guided visualisation. There are some I'll put some links in the um, in in the podcast afterwards um, of some of the people I've listened to that like the sound of sound fairly credible uh, where they play brain, um, uh, brain entrainment music at the same time. And we know from the research, the brain can't really tell the difference between what's real and what isn't real, as in, you know, the resources or the places we've been to. And sometimes you only have to think about the places where you have had fun, where you have enjoyed that experience, where it's been, whether that is walking by the ocean, going into the forest, um, having a fun day out with a group of people. And actually, what, what people don't realise, they are now accessing those feelings. And you can, as Abraham Hicks talks a lot in their work, milk those feelings as much as possible so that you can regenerate. And I use these practices pretty much on a daily basis. So um, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you think would be useful p- for people to understand or find out more or, you know, if we missed anything out?
1: Well, I would say to anyone that's listening to the thing these all of the things that we mentioned and it just seems like too much it seems like I don't even know how to get started you don't need to do everything that we mentioned just pick one pick one thing maybe it's every time you get a notification on your phone you're going to breathe five to ten deep breaths Maybe it's every day you're going to try to walk outside for five minutes a day. Maybe you're going to have that tough conversation with your boss. Maybe you're going to ask a friend a coffee. Pick one thing and and to do that and to check in with yourself and not get too hard on yourself. So one, one thing at a time. You don't need to do it all. Um, this is really about empowering yourself and not shaming yourself for what you haven't done but giving yourself permission to try and experiment and see what works
0: with you yeah brilliant point brilliant point and I think the only thing I'd like to say is when I was in the midst of um, the first bout of burnout that was really hard um, it's very difficult sometimes when you're in that place not to get depressed and not to feel like that that is it and you're never going to feel healthy, well, and have the energy. And certainly when most of my time was spent sleeping. And at the same time, we have to understand that the body needs needs the rest. And that's why people who are depressed often can sleep a long time, because there's a lot of healing that needs to be done. And there was a book that I read once by Michael uh, Singer or Slinger, uh, who talks about surrender. And sometimes, especially if you're the kind of person that go, 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 do, 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 action orientated, make things happen, carry the whole shebang, carry everyone around you, you know, look after everyone else's needs. We don't want to wait for an accident. We don't want to wait for burnout to, re- to learn what can be very hard lessons. And I found my lessons were very hard lessons of how I ease up and how I do things in a different way. And that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And if you are feeling in that space of overwhelmed, that it can pass, but you've got to, got to celebrate the wind days. You've got to celebrate when you did two minutes of breath work and celebrate when you did a five minute walk and celebrate, as you said, exactly. It's about celebrating what you're doing that makes an effort to, support you on your journey rather than shaming yourself for what you haven't done and don't use other people as a, as a bar in which you measure yourself against. This is about Mm. measuring yourself against yourself about uh, what you can achieve. Um, But it's been absolutely lovely talking with you. And I think there's more uh, to do in terms of how we support organisations and the employees. Um, And I, I know when I've done encounter groups with adults and help facilitate conversations and even taught them sometimes these simple things and gone back and seen when they've tested them out, uh, how helpful that can be as well as um, I think it was, I was at an employee conference in April and Starbucks, I think it was in terms of their supporting staff, mental health um, actually had staff talking about their own personal stories as part of how they, uh, normalized mental health and brought in well-being factors and that was something that when people are brave enough to share that it can help other people who haven't got a voice who feel um you know feel quite shy about ever really owning up because the higher up you go as well sometimes owning up to actually having these difficulties is incredibly hard um so yeah I think there's more we have more conversations on this and Um, I'll put the links to your course which sounds fascinating and I've actually got a few clients that have been in difficult circumstances and taken the leap so it'd be interesting to give them something that they can think about in their own career crossroads and certainly a lot of people when they get to midlife start really questioning um, whether they're going through a crisis or or not is this something I really want to do do I want to do something different? And and we need a bit of help with that. So um, yeah, I look forward to sharing that as well, Julie. Wonderful. Thank you so
1: much. And um, thanks for having me and definitely be sure to connect and reach out and see where I, I can be of help and support.
0: Yeah. And I imagine companies get a lot of help and support from you. So let's uh, hope that more reach out and, and support the cultures, the systems and the employees. So thank you.